Welcome to Reclaiming Rest Radio, a ministry by which I coin myself an unworthy and ordinary saint sinner that's on mission to encourage his brothers and sisters to rest in the worthy Christ and the extraordinary gospel. I'm Justin Joseph, your host, and I thank you for joining me. Today, I'm covering the concept of pietism. It is the ism of the term piety, which is another word for godliness. Uh, To be pietistic is to be preoccupied with piety. Now, pietism is a problem for Christians on an individual and collective basis, and it is prevalent in churches throughout the world, uh, not just those in the West, where I happen to reside. Uh, Many Christians operate according to pietism, and the result is never good. Uh, That can be pride, despair, or a combination of both. And there's a saying, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Well, I don't think that it makes sense to compare pietism to a hand, but to still relate to that saying, in my estimation, pietism doesn't feed you, but bites you. Or in other words, pietism is of no benefit. It only does damage. Now, what does a preoccupation with piety entail. Uh, To offer a list of problems with the concept, uh, number one, pietism is concerned with moral progress in the Christian life. And the problem with that is, while morality is good and always will be, it isn't remotely the essence of Christianity. And in fact, Many don't seem to know that Christianity isn't even necessary for morality to be a thing. And I appreciate what uh, Spurgeon had to say on the subject. Uh, He says, or said, Morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus to keep you out of hell. Uh, Number two, Pietism encourages morbid introspection, which is very harmful uh, to believers. And on that note, I I have a few questions for you. Do you try to determine how well you obey and avoid sin day after day, week after week? Do you constantly wonder Uh, If God is pleased with you? Um, Have you ever been terrified at any point before, during, or after communion because you're examining the quality of your Christian walk? If you answered yes to any of those, you can thank pietism. And if you're anything like me, 
those things cause you doubt, fear, anxiety, worry, dread, despair, you name it. And brothers and sisters, we are not meant to experience those things as concerns our salvation. Number three, pietism convinces believers that assurance is a pursuit. You know, that assurance is earned as one progresses as a Christian. And we can ask a question uh, to that. Uh, What's the measuring stick? How does one determine progress as a Christian? Well, we can't, because a measuring stick for that doesn't exist. Uh, There is no scriptural formula for measuring progress. And the reason for that is what people perceive uh, about themselves is purely subjective. And the criteria to determine something like progress as a Christian must be objective, or else we're just dealing with opinions, mine, yours, and no one's opinion is the authority. And besides, think of the trajectory of the Christian life, uh, visually speaking, uh, you know, in the shape of a roller coaster with ups and downs. I don't think that we're ever in a position to measure our own progress, much less that of other professing Christians. Number four, pietism obscures the doctrine of justification by faith alone with its hyper-focus on works and obedience. Now, those two things are good and have their place in the Christian life and in preaching and teaching uh, and care of souls, but the problem is the focus. Unfortunately, people that preach, teach, and care for souls in a pietistic fashion will claim to be reformed, not realizing that obscuring the doctrine of justification by faith alone conflicts with what came out of the Reformation. And that's why scriptural books like Romans and Galatians exist. Uh, They have plenty to say on the subject, and some of it not so nice. Uh, Number five, pietism provokes believers to ask on an individual and collective basis, what must I or we do rather than what has been done? So, rather than acting as a result of the gospel, what Christ has done, and the approval and favor of God that Christians 
already have at the moment they're justified, they act in order to earn God's approval and favor. You know, the whole thing is completely backwards. The dynamic presented in Scripture is reversed. And that's not good. Uh, Number six, pietism pushes believers to attempt to cultivate their own piety. Now, let's remember, pietism, bad, piety, good. But the reason believers are pushed to do that is pietism fostered the spiritual disciplines movement. And as far as those are concerned, you know, the typical ones like Bible reading and prayer, they're great. I would always encourage believers to do those things, but within reason as far as what works for them personally. And definitely not as a means of earning God's favor or growth in godliness. Those activities, in and of themselves, don't produce piety. The problem with believing otherwise is that piety is produced by the Spirit. That's why we encounter in Galatians, uh, a book that I mentioned earlier, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit are matters of godliness and the Spirit produces them. And just to offer a personal anecdote, I once followed plans to read the Bible in a year, and I took copious notes. I had uh, empty notebooks from my high school days and filled page after page. And, you know... I'm sure there was some benefit to that, but I never experienced the explosion of growth spiritually that I expected, and that's because I was deceived by pietism. Number seven, and thankfully this is the last one I'll present, pietism is exacting. Uh, especially in the context of saints gathering. Uh, Sermons in particular are designed to provoke doubt about one's salvation. Uh, They will threaten and even go as far as condemning believers who are present. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it exhausting just to think and speak about pietism, which is ironic since exhaustion is one of the many sad fruits of pietism. I was eyeballs deep in it, and many still are. And I still struggle with it, and always will. Uh, To share even more personally, I once lived in a townhouse 
with people with whom I went to college. And another way that pietism affected my life, um, apart from the self-focused Bible reading that I I talked about earlier, was my having used the built-in microphone and camera on a laptop I once had to record myself talking about how I believed I was progressing as a Christian. And I posted the fruits of that to Facebook under a label that might elicit an eye roll, perhaps even a chuckle from you. And that label was Chronicles of Sanctification, making myself chuckle. Yeah, there's, there's certainly no hint of self-righteousness in that name. Uh, initially, I created, uh, created the videos to report on the, again, progress of a book that I was trying to write about how to gain freedom from immorality because I was an authority on the matter. And if that wasn't bad enough, I started using them to teach as well. Uh, but thankfully, I got away from it, uh, for which I thank God. Uh, but even so, I only ended up replacing that endeavor with a long-form blog. I called it Millennials for Jesus Christ, whereby I thought I was rallying a generation to the throne of Jesus. What can I say? Pietism lands you in one of two camps, and in that case, it was pride. Uh, I wrote about subjects that I related to, and what Christians should or shouldn't do in relation to them in order to be considered godly. I think some articles communicated compassion, but most were just my opinion attached to Bible verses that were likely taken out of context about how to become a better Christian. Uh, I don't know if I ever emphasized the gospel or the believer's identity in Christ or union with Christ. And that's because you don't get those, thing, those things in pietism. Needless to say, I'm glad that Chronicles of Sanctification and that Millennials for Jesus Christ both no longer exist. Now, perhaps some of what comprised those endeavors of mine might have been worthwhile, but in the end, pietism just wrecked me, as it does many other believers. And today's churches, they don't help. Uh, many push a pietistic Christianity, 
which is no Christianity, Christianity at all, frankly. Uh, it's all about obey increasingly well, increasingly conquer sin, and we're told if either or both of those even seem to be an issue, be concerned about your salvation. So, I think it goes without saying that those with sensitive, tender consciences are especially harmed by the lies of pietism. Pietism is more than enough to cause someone like me and many others routine panic. After all, who wants to constantly doubt one's salvation? That's excruciatingly painful. But good news, brothers and sisters, as I already mentioned, pietism is a lie. And having said that, is there any hope of relief from the panic that pietism fosters? Is it possible to no longer experience and suffer from internal panic? Can Christians experience daily internal peace? I want to say yes, but I'll never promise it because I don't think God promises that. You know, we're, we're frail and weak, and for some of us, it's a lifelong struggle. And I'd be lying to you by suggest, suggesting, much less insisting otherwise. However, what can benefit us greatly is coming to know and behold the biblical Jesus. Now, why do I say biblical? Brother, sister, if Jesus causes us those experiences I listed earlier, you know, doubt, fear, anxiety, worry, dread, despair. He is not the biblical Jesus. If Jesus wanted us to experience those things about our salvation, it doesn't make sense for him to then promise us rest in Matthew 11:28. Rest contradicts those experiences. Um, unbelievers should experience those things with relation to him, not us. But one reason pietism is a thing, again, is due to how people preach and teach the commands of Jesus. And if his commands especially those recorded in the gospel accounts, Matthew, 
Mark, Luke, John, if they cause us to experience those things, chances are we're misunderstanding the intent behind them. Now, why is that important? It might be news to you, you know, listener, viewer, depending on how you're consuming this, that most of what Christ said in the gospel accounts is not the gospel or even part of the gospel. Or in other words, most of what Christ is recorded as having said is not good news. Now, that doesn't make his commands bad, but it is so, so important to understand why he commands what he does and to whom. You know, Paul is clear in Romans and Galatians, books I mentioned earlier, that no one is saved by works of the law. And we can say that the biblical gospel boils down to the fact that Christ has done the works of the law, and believers may now live in him without doubt, fear, anxiety, worry, dread, despair. Or again, in other words, we should believe that Christ has accomplished for us everything that is necessary to be right with God. And knowing that reality, we should act accordingly, but every time we fail to act accordingly, we should run to Christ and not away from him. Think of the parable of the prodigal son, which is a picture of that very thing. Ultimately, to know peace is to know the biblical Christ, because he is our peace with God. And that peace can be accompanied by pleasant feelings. But scripture doesn't attach feelings to peace, and for good reason. Um, To revisit something I said earlier, it's an objective reality. And that objective reality is the person and work of Christ. Who Christ is and what he's done is our peace. That is our plea. Brothers and sisters, let us strive by grace to know Christ better and know him properly. And and perhaps I can help us get started with some verses. I'll start with Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And that means you and I, assuming you're a believer, are those with whom God is pleased. 
and Romans, unsurprisingly, has a few excellent ones. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, remember the doctrine of justification by faith alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And going on to chapter 15, a couple there. 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And not long after that, in verse 33, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then to quote a couple other epistles, uh, Ephesians 6:23 Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And and finally, and please know that this list is hardly exhaustive, uh, but for the sake of time uh, and keeping things concise here, 2 John 3, grace, mercy, and Peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Brothers, sisters, do you remember what I said about the gospel? It is that, not pietism, which not only motivates us to be godly, uh, to live as Christians, but is the power behind those things. We're justified through the gospel and sanctified through the gospel. And that's why my my shirt is relevant here. It contains the statement, I am a gospel project. We can't love God apart from the gospel. We can't love others apart from the gospel. We can't be or live as Christians apart from the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we are projects of the justifying, sanctifying, and glorifying gospel. And it is through the gospel that we have peace with God. I urge us to disregard any suggestion or insistence to the contrary. May the gospel and the person and work of Christ deliver us from lifelong panic, from pietism. Brothers, sisters, remember that all day, every day, we have peace with God. Peace.